0: It's Wednesday, March 22nd, 2017, and you're listening to episode 436 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 36 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan.
1: And I'm Carla.
0: And that's it for the show tonight because all of the other hosts had other things going on, various personal and work emergencies. So yeah, so you've got me and Carla. This is actually Carla's first time back on the mic in several years. Yeah,
1: it's been a while.
0: Yeah, the last show that you did with us that I can remember was the one on Climate and world building that we did with i know keith was on it i don't remember if joe wetzel from uh, inkwell was on there or not i think yeah
1: i can't remember i know there were a few guests but i can't remember who all they were actually i should have been on another episode but you kind of cock blocked me because i had this fantastic banter topic um and and just for the folks you're going to hear lots of crazy noises because since mom and dad are together Every animal in the house is in this room with us. Yeah, and- you,
0: you're we record. <laughs> the dogs and cat hang out with Carla mostly. I mean, you occasionally get the collar jingle or that kind of noise. But now, because we're both in here, they have nowhere they else they uh, care to be. So they're going to be all over the recording table. I apologize in advance.
1: Yep. But what was the
0: show? Come here. What was the show you believe I should have had you on and didn't?
1: Well, so I had this genius banter topic that I really wanted to pitch to the guys and to you, obviously, and it was all about the Big Bang Theory. And you're like, no, 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 we don't want to talk about Big Bang Theory. It's just, I hate that show. And I'm like, well, I like that show. And then Wayne's like, well, I like that show. And then I think Chad was like, well, I hate that show. And I'm like, see, this is a banter topic. And you're like, no, we're not going to talk about it. So... Whatever, I kind of let it roll off my back, no big whoop. And then I come to find out that after I was dejected from that podcast, you ended up using it as a banter topic a few weeks later. So I was deeply, deeply wounded. And it still has not, I haven't gotten over it. I'm
0: sure we did. I honestly don't remember. You did. I can tell you I didn't want to talk about it. (laughs)
1: Because you hate that show. I despise
0: the show. there's There's a clip I'll link in the show notes. That's been making the rounds on the internet that explains in the course of about 20 or 30 seconds exactly what's wrong yeah. with the show. Yeah. It's a guy who films a clip of the show. And then pauses the clip and just yells at his TV. But he very concisely explains. Summarizes. Yeah, why that show is so, to me, incredibly unlikable. Which is, well, I'll, I'll let him sum it up. But the part that I would add is the show is largely written and has a lot of cast members from Roseanne. Yep, And it very much shows because the show follows a very, very, very formulaic sitcom Mm -hmm. from the 80s, maybe early 90s sort of setup, except for the fact that they just put in geeky proper nouns.
1: Right. Yep. I get it. I mean, I just don't read into comedies like that too much. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but it is a show that I can just kind of shut my brain down. And yeah, they throw some Star Trek references out there. Actually, they do more Star Trek than they do Star Wars, which I'm totally cool with because, you know, I'm a Star Trek fan. Right. And so it's just kind of neat when they have, like, debates about Picard versus Kirk and stuff because it's like, yeah, I get that. But I know that's the same reason why you hate it because they just threw it in there because it's a nerdy kind of topic. <laughs>
0: we, Well, so when uh, Pat, John, and I were at Comic-Con in, I don't remember what year that was, whatever year we went, 2011, I think. It's but, been a while, yeah. Yeah, it's been a little while. But whenever we went to Comic-Con, they were handing out different themed bags to carry your stuff in. Now, we didn't get them because as press, we got a different set of of handouts. Right. but You
1: had the press pass.
0: Yeah, we did. But (laughs) as we were walking around, it was funny because we could actually identify the people that were...
1: True nerds versus this the fake, fake nerds. nerds. <laughs> By whether
0: they had a Big Bang bag or not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, anyone who had anything else we assumed was part of the tribe, yeah. anyone that had a Big Bang one, it's like, you're the posier that doesn't belong here. Right,
1: right. Yeah, I would have definitely wanted a Star Trek bag. I wouldn't have wanted a Big Bang Theory bag. So I get where you're coming from, but on the flip side, it is pretty funny. There's some of the shows lately, they've just had like the whole the scenes between Sheldon and Amy have just been... Just ridiculous. Okay, so, so it's pretty funny. You want
0: a bit of celebrity gossip. I can't believe we're doing this. But since <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: it's just the two of us. Yeah. Let's do whatever we want. So
0: did you know... Okay, so Kelly Cuoco or whatever her name yeah, is. Yeah, Kay- Kaylee.
1: Kaylee, 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 Quo- Kaylee Cuoco. Okay, yeah. so the girl
0: that plays... Penny. Penny on the show, who started off as kind of the more... Athletic hot neighbor mm-hmm. that you know didn't really get all the geek stuff, right? Um, she
1: still kind of does, but yeah, they've toned that way. Back. So,
0: okay, I was reading something on her personal life where apparently she's got some baggage. All right, I'm just gonna leave it at that. You know, pe- people can uh tabloid check all of this if mm-hmm. they want to see some, but when I was reading through all of the weird stuff that's been going on in her relationships and her somewhat recent divorce, I found something out which is. She dated a guy, and it gave the actor's name and said from Arrow, okay, which is one of the shows that you and I watched together. Right. And I couldn't place the actor's name. And so I had to go and look it up. She dated for about six or nine or months or maybe about a year or something like that the guy that plays the father of Black Canary, the the police captain. Oh, oh, really? (laughs) Yes. She dated the guy that plays the police captain. Dude, he's like way
1: older than her. Yeah, he's
0: like twice her age. But I mean, what's not, his
1: name in the show? Why can't he it's, it's remember? A,
0: I don't know. Captain Lance. So I can't Captain think, Lance, but yeah. But I can't think of what his first name is. But whatever, okay. I had to look him up because I didn't recognize the actor's no. name. Because the no. only two actor's names that I can catch off the top of my head is, and of course now I can't remember either. Right, of course. Is, is the guy that plays Arrow? Arrow. The guy that plays Oliver, Oliver Queen. Queen. I ev- Which, if you told me, I would know the name, but now I can't.
1: Oh my gosh, I can't either.
0: <laughs> and then the guy that plays Malcolm Merlin, because he's such a character. Yeah, he, he was is. the one that, at the cast uh, like talk at Comic Con a couple years back, they had to drop a bunch of the press junket photos. Because he kept turning around and dropping his pants. Yeah, and I remember, just,
1: yeah he's kind of, a, he's like a comedian. Yeah, me, he's yeah. a
0: funny guy, but he was like full mooning the camera. <laughs> and so they had to drop some of those pictures.
1: I can't believe I can't remember his name either. I can't That's think gonna of it. I don't you have my cell phone with me. I'm totally Yeah, untethered. I can't think
0: of either of their names. Okay, no. Well, it
1: doesn't matter. But yeah, so if it's kind of funny you brought up Penny, because they have her on the show as like this, you know, she's the hot athletic girl, but. I remember when she used to be on Eight Simple Rules for Dating my teenage daughter with John Ritter. My, oh, she
0: was the younger daughter. She was the
1: she was the daughter that the show was about. The Eight Simple Rules for was Dating she? my yeah. She I thought was, she was the
0: younger daughter. No, she oh. was the,
1: she was the teenage daughter. Okay. And I remember like and it was probably terrible to say, but I was so distracted because her mouth was so crooked, and I just didn't find. <laughs> I never really thought she was that pretty, and then they put her in Big Bang Theory, and she's one of those girls like if you get the right angle, she yeah. can be really pretty, but if you just catch her like. Without the right angle, I just can't get past the crooked mouth. I know it sounds so horrible to say, but I just don't find her that attractive. She, <laughs> and it disturbs me because it's just like, you're not that pretty. But compared to, I guess, what they're trying to portray with right. the geeks versus non-geeks, I get it. Anyway, that's enough about Big Bang. So thank you for letting me have my banter topic finally.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> I find some Anyways, Yeah, check the show notes for that clip, which does a better job than I can. Uh, summarizing one of the two reasons I hate the show, the other <laughs> being the fact that it is such a formulaic yeah. sitcom. Well,
1: most sitcoms are. Well, more.
0: It, it, I heard it very well. I think it's Chad who described it to me this way, and I'm sure he's not the only one to use the phrase, but Chad was one to introduce me to the phrase of the show is geek face. Yeah. And that, I think, does a pretty good job of also explaining why I don't like the show.
1: Yep, I get it. All right. Because that's, yep.
0: So speaking of terrible geek stereotypes there's one that i think still holds true but it holds true in a different way okay okay when we started doing this show there was a big interest in females in the hobby because of the fact that females were such a small minority of Mm -hmm. the hobby You know, that stereotype of every group had the one girl. Right. It's got a basis in reality. And if you looked at the numbers back then, what numbers there were, the, the RPG hobby is wildly understudied and underquantified. But if you look at what studies there were, I mean, even the most generous ones were coming up with the hobby being about 10 to 15% female tops. It's kind of
1: the University of Rolla, (laughs) Missouri (laughs) Rolla. And so
0: a lot of people were very, very interested at the time. And so what is it that brings females that do come into the hobby into the hobby? And there was a lot of games that at the time they would refer to as girlfriend games. You know, these are the ones that are less mathematical, less serious than
1: wow that's stereotypical well hey
0: look i'm just i'm i'm reciting <laughs> There's no
1: barbies in this game i don't want to play <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm not endorsing this i'm just telling you what was this is this is me reciting history okay but there was a lot of interest in what they called the girlfriend games right. which were the role-playing games or the board games or card games that were more likely than most to have a female following right okay Now, one of the ones that sat sort of in an odd place, because it had much better gender representation, even though it didn't fit the usual hallmarks of a girlfriend game, was the World of Darkness series, with vampire and werewolf and...
1: Which, as we know, got really popular not that long ago, like... Crazy with the whole Twilight thing. I mean, yeah, I get, well, like the,
0: super the, the urban fantasy thing is sort of coming back around, right? But, but there is a truth that I think is still as useful today as it was back then. Because if you look at the demographics or the best estimates of the demographics in the role playing hobby, the gap between male and female has still not closed, there's still not parity, but it is certainly closer to parity than it was before. Mm-hmm. So the the female attendance. At most major conventions, the players that are involved in the organized play groups and such, they're getting closer. All right. So the topic I wanted to talk about, though, is even though there is a growing parody, it's so like organized play for like Pathfinder D&D. If you look at like the turnstile attendance at places like Gen Con and right. such, there are a gro- there's a growing number of women participating in the hobby And that gap is closing. All right. But what still I think exists, regardless of what we attach it to, social demographic, gender, it doesn't matter. Whatever we attach it to, I think a lot of people in their life have had that, we'll call them the reluctant gamer, okay? Someone who is not dead set against the hobby. Right. But it's somebody that for whatever reason, because they're a good friend because you don't have access to a lot of players, so you want to get everyone you can involved in this, because they're a significant other, whether that's the girlfriend or boyfriend, that you want to draw into the hobby. There are a lot of people that I would call the reluctant gamer, who would be willing to game, but it's hard to move them to get invested in the hobby, to give it a try. Now, I realize you're only one person, obviously. You don't speak for...
1: Oh, we can overgeneralize.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The point being that that obviously you don't speak for all of them. But what I think might be useful advice that we can pull out of this is as a reluctant gamer yourself, someone who will game, but only really, I mean, it it takes a fair amount of coaxing and a fair amount of stuff to get you into a game. Let's talk about some of the things that make you a reluctant gamer And some of the things that I can do or the gaming group can do to get you invested. And I think I'm probably going to start right there. I think listening to the person, asking them these kinds of questions is very important. Yeah. This goes back to know your group and the reluctant gamer is now just part of your group. But the second thing that I think is it struck me that as I watched you come into the hobby that in many cases you don't even know the answers to the questions that we might ask. Because I can go to another gamer and say, well, what titles do you want to play? What genres? What style of games? And they've got answers to all this. But if I go to you and say, well, would you be interested in a game of this? You you might not even have any idea what it means to play a game at all. What are role-playing games even like, much less what the specific experience of playing that game is like. And so it strikes me that When you go to someone who's that reluctant gamer, you have to accept that they may not even understand the questions you're asking or the requests you're making. So with that little bit of of early advice of listen to the person, but understand they don't know all the points you're coming from. When I first introduced you to to gaming as a concept what was your impression of gaming prior to the first game you ever played and what was it that got you willing to sit down at the table the first time
1: man well I mean it's been a long time since you first introduced me to it I mean I always knew what Dungeons and Dragons was like I that because that was pretty much the first thing that I had heard from you but and I knew what it was but I didn't really know what it was but I think well I wanted to just I mean we were dating at the time. So I was interested in learning about it because it was something that was important to you and in your friends. You know, you guys, that's what you did. And so I can remember back in your apartment, you know, you would have all your friends come over and we would order piscettis. We'd mm-hmm. sit around and eat these delicious sandwiches, which if anyone's ever in St. Louis, you definitely have to get piscettis. They have the best bread ever. But we would sit around and it was just at the time, you know, it was just a snack fest. You're sitting around the table, you're goofing off, everybody's eating. And I would watch you guys play and it just looked like a lot of fun. Now, so that was kind of my first exposure to it. So it was just kind of like People coming over, having like a little mini party and just doing some role playing with it. So I was able to kind of see it by immersion, even though I didn't play it. Kind of the same way, like when I watch you play video games, like from Final Fantasy, which is what you were playing when we first met. Right. Even through today, you know, it's like some games are just really great to watch, almost like a movie. Watching you guys do these games and hearing it was almost like watching like a little movie. So it was intriguing. I could just sit there and eat along with you guys and just listen. So... I guess what would make me more reluctant is uh, maybe you guys were so good at like the role playing itself, like doing voices and being able to come up with answers. Okay, what are you going to do when this happens? And people coming up with plans can be a little intimidating if you've never done that before. So like, I don't want to do voices. I'm really bad at accents and all this. So I don't want to do that in front of people. So that made me a little hesitant to ever do it. And so... Yeah, again dusting off cobwebs trying to think about when we first when you first introduced me to it so i don't know if that answers your question i can tell you though just like fast forwarding to today my co-workers friends they know you do a podcast on role-playing games and right. so they're they don't really know what the, that is and of course you know it's like well you mean like dungeons and dragons and that's what everybody always says And like yeah i was like but let me illustrate it for you and so then i'll go into like a little five minute like you're walking along a path the sun is setting you can't see it's dark beyond this hill and all of a sudden you hear a clanging noise and over this hill you see something shining you know and i paint a picture for him right i said you know this happens what are you gonna do and they're like oh man gee well i i don't know what i would do and i'm like well you have a sword so what are you gonna do you know and and they're and they get really excited like That's awesome. And
0: let me me pause you there because you've raised a few points that I want to highlight. Okay. The first one is that Chad has often said on this show that role playing is not a spectator sport. And I largely do agree with him that I think it's always a bit awkward to have that person sort of hanging around but not playing, particularly the people that are not really familiar with them. I think it helped that my friends, when we were doing that, they knew you, they were comfortable with you being in the room. But it is interesting to hear that it was your observation of the game that demystified it and helped build your interest in it. Well, yeah. And so, you know, that runs very counter to the idea that role-playing is not a spectator sport, that maybe there is some value in having somebody watch the game because they might get interested
1: well let me just stop you right there right now there's an extremely popular tv series on netflix called stranger things and the whole thing starts off with you watching kids play a role-playing game yeah i mean that's how it launches and they come back to that numerous times so is it a spectator sport well no it's not like you'd pay money to go watch it you know like on the big screen tv but it is something that some people find intriguing, and so to go back to your initial question of like, what what did you do? Is well, you don't know what you don't know when you when you first hear about sure. it. So as you learn and understand kind of what it is, then yeah, like you said, it demystifies it. Right. And-
0: okay. So the next point that you raised was you talked about the fact that it can be overwhelming because of the voices, because of things
1: intimidating, like- intimidating. Yeah.
0: Right. But there, there's something that I got introduced to by Ryan Frederick, who I know you've met. He's come up for Fear the Con yeah. I mean, pretty much every year. And uh, he had a, something that I saw him do in a game for someone that was kind of an outsider to the hobby. Not exactly, but kind of an outsider to the hobby. That I thought was really neat, and I mentioned this in a prior episode, but you mentioned it again when you were talking about the example of illustrating this to your coworkers. So you give them a quick hit of what role-playing is like. Here's the scene. What would you do? Mm-hmm. And people play this game all the time with movies and television shows. Well, if that was me,
1: right, I'd exactly. have picked up the
0: gun. I'd have called the cops. I you know, Don't
1: w- run up the stairs. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> and one thing that, that I saw Ryan do that I thought was great that helps to bring it down a notch is he immediately made known some of the buttons and levers in the room. And what I mean by that is let's go back to your example. So the sun's setting, you know, you're walking along, you hear a clanging over the hill. What do you do? Okay, but but right there, that question alone, what do you do, can be intimidating or overwhelming. And so now he won't force somebody to do this, mm-hmm. but he'll say something like, you have a sword that you could use to defend yourself. You know that there's a village nearby you could go to, to for help. And you also notice some bushes kind of near the top of the hill, where you could probably get a better look from. And now if you say, I'm not going to do any of these, I'm going to just burn the whole forest down and let nature take its course, he's not going to stop you from doing that. But he does at least give you some things so you don't feel like, well, gosh, I can do anything, and therefore I'm overwhelmed by that. I'm overwhelmed by the choices. He presents some buttons you can push, some things you can do, so that you kind of have if you're If you're feeling intimidated or overwhelmed, you see some things that you can do, yeah, and so it helps make it feel a bit more finite, mm-hmm. yeah, do you think that kind of thing would have helped you?
1: My issue wasn't with what to do; I think it was how to do it, so like for me, it's just hard. I feel silly acting. And doing voices, because I'm not good at impersonations. I'm not, I can't, I mean, any, I can try to do any accent, and they all end up sounding Russian at the end. It's like, I'm just really bad She'll at it. play a Russian. <laughs> yeah, well, but then it'll turn into something else, because I'm just <laughs> horrible at it. So, you know, if I want a character, I just, I don't want it to be too crazy and diverse, because I want my character to be interesting, but I don't want to start out with, like, Marina Sirtis, when she started as Deanna Troy. She's English, you know, and she had... Like, she was trying to do this one accent, and by the end of the show, her accent was totally different. You know, I don't want my character to, just like, change because I'm unable to keep with the character. Right. So, I think for me, it's more like, what to do is not hard. Because, you know, the, the few games that I've actually played with you, I never had a problem coming up with what I did in a situation or rolling for initiative and, and my actions. That was never an issue. It was more, do I do a voice? Or do I get really mad and yell, or do I just kind of say what I'm doing? Like, I'm really angry, and I'm going to lob off his head. Do I just say, I'm really angry, and I'm going to lob off his head? Or do I slam my fist down on the table and scream, bah! and then I cut off his head, you know, and with the motions and everything? It's, that's kind of where I think for me I get a little intimidated right. when other people at the table can do it really well.
0: Well, one of the other things I wanted to talk about that you just kind of pulled in there from a different angle is familiarity. Okay, you didn't know role-playing games, you didn't know the details of the hobby, but I was able to find something you did know and were interested in, which yeah. was Star Trek. Yeah, And so the, the title that I was able to get you to play first was Star Trek because of the fact that you're a big Star Trek fan. And, I mean, right now there are so many fan hacks, if not actual authorized versions, of just about any setting out there that if somebody's a fan of anything, you can probably find a role-playing game that fits that. Right. But not only did I notice that the setting of Star Trek made you a bit more familiar because of the fact that you knew what the options were, right? You knew what it meant to transport something. You knew what it meant to shoot somebody with a phaser. You knew what generally somebody within Starfleet was supposed to act like. Right. But you talked about the difficulty of doing voices and role-playing, but... There was one time in particular I recall you having no trouble with it, which is in one of our Star Trek campaigns. It was set in the Next Generation era, and you played a Klingon captain of a Federation ship. Yes. And there was an actual, like, Empire Klingon who came on the ship, and he was doing what Klingons do. He was posturing and trying to dominate you and trying to intimidate you. You know, it just that's what they do. And you had no problem... Taking on a voice and telling me that you're headbutting him. And then you guys ended up having a fist fight, which, according to the sheets, you should have lost. You weren't that good at hand to hand combat. Right. But he could not roll to save his life. And so you beat him down. I mean, you're right there in the ready room next to the bridge where in Next Generation you see Picard quoting Herman Melville and, and sipping <laughs> Earl Grey tea, and here you are just beating some guy's ass around the table, <laughs> well, and just, you had no problem doing a Klingon voice and Klingon things. Well, and, well
1: so i got to add some context to that. So number one, that was literally the last game we played. So that was within the past couple of years. Right. So I've had a couple games under my belt. Number two, I didn't do a Klingon voice. I just talked like me. I was just... I think raising my voice because we were in the battle. So I didn't actually do like a
0: blah, 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 blah. But that is a voice. But I mean, if you raise. Yeah, I got more into the character. Exactly. You weren't being purely conversational. Right. You weren't being what we tend to call third person role playing. Right, right. Of saying, well, my character does this as opposed to saying I do this. You were very much in the character. Yeah,
1: I was in the character. Well, that was a freaking awesome character. And I think part of what. Star Trek, the game allure is is that you do have to go through so many dice rolling to build your character. So the backstory kind of gets written. I think that actually that makes me remember. And another thing is coming up with the backstory. I'm not a good storyteller, like coming up with, you know, whenever we name a dog or name anything, I'm like, what should we name it? Because I'm just not good at coming up with that. So having to come up with a character name is like, ah, oh, crap. I, let me, what's around the room? Uh, Wall. Okay, let's go with Wall, <laughs> you know. And then, so then having to build a, a backstory. <laughs> well, I just
0: put a K in front of it. so now I am the Klingon K'w'l. Captain Kowal.
1: Kowal. <laughs> no, but I mean, well, that, that Klingon actually did come up with a name with, but going back to the beginning, it's like coming up with a character name is like, well, oh, crap, that's hard. And, oh, now you got to come up with a backstory. I'm like. Son of a bitch, I don't know what to come up with, you know. But with the Star Trek game, it kind of comes up with itself. So that was, that. was So to go back to some of the questions you were asking, like what would pull you in? To, well, to maybe,
0: translate this a bit for anyone not familiar with Star Trek, what she's talking about is in the character creation system, character creation, yeah. there's a, it takes you through the stages of your life. Where, in Starfleet and yeah, all that. Yeah, so you start off with what did you do as a kid, what did you do in Starfleet, what did you do in your prior tours of duty. Yes. It's a very life path sort of way. It's uh, not quite as detailed, nowhere near as detailed as the Traveler character creation system, but it's that kind of thing where you go stage by stage through your life. So, okay, continue.
1: Yeah, so I mean, but basically, that's a great way to summarize it. So, it takes a lot of that guesswork and that, you know, creativity piece of it, if you're not good at it, out. So, you can just say, okay, well, according to the dice, this is what happened when I was in Starfleet. So, then you can easily kind of say, well, I screwed up in this, and, and then you can start kind of filling in like those Tetris blocks, if you will. So that definitely, as a suggestion to someone who's reluctant to gaming, going back to the example that you had where like giving the levers and, and options they can do in a story is maybe with the character creation itself, maybe have some pre-written characters that somebody can pick from so they don't have to think so much about it. Be like, you know, we're going to do this game. Don't worry about creating a whole character, but here's like five characters that I've created Are there any of these that look interesting to you that you can start from? And then you can customize it if you want, but here's a lot of the groundwork. So that's kind of what Star Trek does, and that's what makes it kind of easy. So that helped me build my character for this latest Klingon. So anyway, my whole point of going down this road was just to set some context that, yes, I got into that character, but I was a little bit more used to gaming. I've done it a few times, so I was able to, and it was in a universe that I love. Right. So there was just a lot of things that went really right And I really hated that that game kind of dissolved. That that was a good one. But so that that kind of adds. Right. And
0: I think there also is a useful point in there, which is in addition to going with points of reference for the setting and for the game itself, you can also do that with the character. Yes. So if someone says to me, "Okay, I want to play my first game and I'm really interested in the show Supernatural. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there's role playing games that would do a pretty good job of handling a game like Supernatural. I'm I'm guessing it's probably fan-made Supernatural games anyway. Maybe there's an official one I'm just not familiar with. But I have no doubt that if somebody came to me and said that was their first game, or I was trying to get them into their first game, I could ask them, well, who's a character on the show you like? Could be a major one, could have been a minor one, could have been just somebody who popped up on one episode. Okay, so you've given me a character you like this, you'd want to be this person. Well, let's see if we can change it up a little bit just so it's not exactly that same person, it's a little more yours, but we can use that as a pretty good starting point. Yeah. And, for example, if we look at Klingons, Next Generation had a lot of good Klingon characters that you could draw inspiration from. Yeah.
1: Which I did, because Worf rescued me or, or inspired me to yes. join Starfleet in my character, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I think your character was actually from... That there was an episode of Star Trek Next Generation where there was a bunch of Klingons that had survived their fight with the Romulans and were being kept on a planet.
1: Yeah, it was like a prison planet. It was like
0: like a gilded cage where they they weren't being tortured, but they were just losing their culture. Right. And the Romulans were raising them in a way that was nice. They weren't harming them, but at the same time, they were not allowing them to act according to their nature. They weren't allowing them to be Klingon. And you had been there when Worf visited that world, yes. and wanted to reconnect with your Klingon roots, and, and we'd worked out somehow that you'd gotten off that planet, or I don't remember what. Yeah, I don't remember that. But that was why you joined Starfleet and where you took your inspiration from. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, but the point is that I mean, it would that there was a character that you were able to link to, or a series of characters, so that the Klingons in that colony was something you can link to being out of place or trying to rediscover yourself that's a pretty common human experience and if it's worf that you're aspiring to be well there's a whole series of characteristics because there's a lot of episodes about how he felt caught between two worlds right. being both
1: Well, I was only half was, Klingon.
0: Right. Well, and, and Worf was he was raised, raised by, by humans. humans. Yeah. So he wasn't raised by Romulans but he was raised by humans and you know, he felt caught between two worlds, yeah, because of the fact that he was both Klingon and Starfleet, and he was Klingon, but really in many ways he
1: was human. He was
0: human yeah. in in many ways, and so I don't believe I don't think he was half. No,
1: you know, he was full Klingon. Yeah, he, he was, was full just Klingon. Raised, he had right. human parents,
0: right? As opposed to like Spock, who was half Vulcan, half right. human, and had one parent of each, but. He had been raised, on the opposite side, he'd been raised in the Vulcan culture right. and was having a lot more trouble understanding his humanness, yep. as opposed to Worf, who oftentimes struggled to understand his klingon right. And then, of course, had to demonstrate that to an entire planet of people, one of which was your character. And so I think that was another great frame of reference. Yeah, for sure. So before we wrap this one up, is there anything else you want to throw in kind of as some last thoughts here for the people at home.
1: Yeah, so I was just going to, I was thinking about other things that kind of put me in that category of a quote-unquote reluctant gamer, and I think it's just personality traits. I mean, I'm a very active person, and it's hard for me to sit still for very long. You know, I love to be outside. I love to be up and doing things. And so part of it, what makes me reluctant to want to do a campaign, is just the length of the games. Because, you know, if it's a gorgeous 75 degree day and it's sunny i'm not gonna want to stay inside playing a role-playing game for nine hours that's just who i am so i think it's just establishing like if we were to get together on a weekly basis or bi-weekly or however often to do a game just making sure that there's breaks built in or that maybe on a nice day you only do it for a couple of hours just for those of People (laughs) who are like me—it just because it's hard. It's really hard for me to just sit at a table for eight hours. Yeah,
0: you guys know that giant burning ball in the sky we're constantly trying to escape. (laughs) Carl is really fond of it.
1: (laughs) I love the sun. And
0: so, yeah, that was. And I think this goes back to really where we started in many ways.
1: Know your audience. Yeah, know your audience. And so
0: one of the things that we had to know going into it was you're very outdoorsy. You're very active you're very physically active, you don't like sitting still for long periods of time, and so we had to do things like, okay, we're going to game in the evenings, so you're not missing the days, and we're going to do this, we're going to set the game length to be, you know, more about three or four hours as opposed to these marathon games because you're going to get very antsy, you know, even within those three or four hours, and so there was a lot of I wouldn't say a lot. Well, but there, think, there were there was a number of things.
1: Well, a lot of those things though, were just because of who we were. Getting. We had kids there. It had sure. to be after work. I mean, it wasn't.
0: It wasn't it, just you. It no. wasn't just
1: me. No, that we had a group of a pretty dynamic group of people. So yes, gaming in the evenings was definitely good. But I think we actually started like two.
0: Yeah. And
1: on, on Saturdays, but because we had families involved, there sure. were a lot of other factors. But yeah, so going back to know your audience. So I think, you know, just for some people, they may be reluctant because they're just don't want to sit around a table for that long. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, like you said, it's just hard for me to do. And so I love the idea of doing a game, but I love the idea of doing it in smaller chunks. So I'm not pulling my hair out because I'm missing the beautiful sunshine and whatnot. So that was really it. That kind of, in summary would just be like you said, know your audience, you know, maybe for someone who's reluctant, if they are intimidated, give them away to feel a little less intimidated by making the setting familiar, maybe having some characters "quote unquote" lovers or things that they can choose from help them with the creative process, and then just be aware of how they like to function as far as food and breaks and time and, sure. and, and things like that. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. Well, I
0: think for everyone out there, it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, you know, if yeah. they've got someone like. But the idea here is is not to answer everybody's question. But it's to simply to draw out, you know, Mm -hmm. what some of the options are, what some of the things might be that, you know, maybe will help them get somebody involved, maybe help them find a hobby that they end up really enjoying. I mean, because, you know, you were a reluctant gamer, but now you're talking about how you're upset that last campaign dissolved. And so that's obviously, you know, the place where, I think the majority of people that have a reluctant gamer, that's where they would love to see the situation. Yeah. Is Is somebody go from I don't know if I want to do this to I don't want this to end.
1: Right. Well, yeah. It's the same reason I haven't watched the last few episodes of Next Generation when I rewatched the whole thing. Because <laughs> then it would be over. I think I stopped three episodes from the end and I refused to watch them because then it would be over again. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> anyway, thank you, Carla, for coming down here and You are welcome. And thank you guys at home. As always, have a great week and great games. And we will catch you guys next time.
1: (laughs) Bye, guys.
0: This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com network.